Welcome to The Gathering Pod, the audio version of my weekly gathering room broadcast. I'm Martha Beck. Today I'm talking about one of those things that you see online, a simple trick that makes everything better. And it literally is true. And I have been using it all week because it has been a week of extremes for me. A lot of like exciting things happening, a lot of difficult things happening. I've got people I love who have been struck ill. I've had tremendous opportunities come to me. And all of this has led me to a bit of um, ups and downses. Okay, here is Road to Help with the Instagram. Okay, thank you. So how have you all been? Well, she sets that up. I just want to see how y'all are doing. Hi, Robert and Denise and Laurie and Eileen and Linda. Okay. I am now live on Instagram. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Okay. Rowie, did I do? Oh, sorry. Cancel. Okay. We're live everywhere. It's 4.02 my time. And I just had a classic example of why I need what I'm about to tell you guys. <laughs> Hi, everybody from Instagram. It's great to see you guys. Sorry, I, I messed up the technology. All right. I've just been telling the folks on Facebook that there's a simple trick that you can use to make everything better, and it actually really works. And it comes from our neighbors in the far east, as so many of my gathering room topics do. So when I was 20... I went to Singapore and I lived in Singapore learning Chinese for about a year and then I traveled around Asia for another several months with a little knapsack and I had a fellowship to study um, folklore in China. So I went to China and I gathered folk tales from people and it was very exciting. But the whole time I was kind of alienated from what I saw as the philosophy there. First of all, it was a bit flattened by communism when I was actually present. But I kept reading about Buddhism in Western, um, Western sources as a kind of life-denying philosophy, that it was stultifying and dead. And the reason is that the Buddha taught that um, the solution to discontent, to suffering, is to cease pursuing happiness and trying and running away from suffering. So to grasp at happiness causes suffering and to run away from suffering itself causes further suffering. And the idea was you're supposed to free yourself from both. And meditation is a practice where you let all that go. And the yogis were doing this stuff in India and the Buddhists were doing it in China and Korea and, and Japan. And Westerners came and looked at it and said, these people are numb. They're not feeling anything. And I thought, yeah, who wants that? So I wasn't that interested when I was actually amongst those people. I have to say, in defense of whatever Westerners noticed um, the bliss of this, that there were places in the Himalayas and so on where people were doing smoking a lot of weed, making it much easier to stop pursuing pleasure and running from pain. But most of them were not. Most of them were just letting go. This is what was different about Eastern philosophy that the Westerners that I studied early on didn't know. That there is a space outside of the pursuit of happiness that is actually happier than what we call happiness. 
So life, liberty, the pursuit of happiness, and the maximizing of material wealth, that's kind of been the, the goal in our culture uh, for several hundred years. And we never even tried not lunging after happiness or running away from fear. And the reason is that we have this very, uh, very material way of looking at the world in which your material wealth establishes the happiness of your inner condition. First noble truth of Buddhism, we exist in a state of constant dissatisfaction. Second noble truth of Buddhism, there is a cessation, there is a way out of this. And it's non-dependence on causes and consequences in the material world. This all sounds very philosophical and boring, I know. However, we're going to do something right now today that will show you how it works. So the idea is not that you stop being happy or sad. The idea is that there's a level of stepping back, which I talk about almost every week, where part of the consciousness moves back and observes what is being felt. And slowly, slowly, your identity starts to be located in the observer rather than the one experiencing happiness and sadness. It detaches, right? And then you're like somebody watching a fascinating movie. It's, your life is going up and down. You're having ha sa happiness and sadness, happiness and sadness. But you're watching this splendid movie from the comfort of the witness chair, which is actually incredibly blissfully good in a way that our culture doesn't even have vocabulary to articulate. And this is why nobody could do it. We, we don't even have a mental category for this, but you can feel it and you can feel it easily. And this is what I'm going to ask you to do today. I want you to think of something in your life that is mildly upsetting. So not the worst thing that ever happened to you, but I mean, for you, it might be someday I'm going to die. And that might just be mildly upsetting to you. For other people, it might be horrifying. If it's horrifying, don't go, go there right now. It could be, I'm tired. I'm uncomfortable. I don't feel good right now. Um, I had an argument with my friend or my spouse or whatever, and I'm really bummed out because I don't know how it's going to resolve. Uh, I haven't been outside in a thousand years because of COVID. Whatever it is, like so, it's something that you push away and don't want to think about really. You don't want to experience it. You do not want to experience it. So I'm going to use, I'm tired, because it happens to be true today. I'm not horrifically tired. I'm just kind of tired. So get that in your mind. Allow it to come up and notice how uncomfortable it is. Okay. So get uncomfortable with it. Let it in. Oh, God, my cat's got the flu and I, it may not get better. Whatever it is. Okay. And then after you've sat in the discomfort for a minute, say, you know what? I'm just going to let it be for now. Like sing the Beatles song, let it be. Like, ugh, you know, I'm tired. I'm not going to fight it. Someday I'm going to die. Okay. I'm not going to fight it right now. I'm just going to let it be as it is. I'm not happy about it, but bleh, can't change it, can't control it. Now, if you got even the slightest little bit of relief, so you were going either, like it can be, I'm anxious. A lot of us on the gathering room, a lot of you guys are have anxiety because you're sensitive souls. And there's a resistance to anxiety that makes the anxiety worse. And paradoxically, if you say, yeah, I've got a lot of anxiety. Right now, I'm quite anxious. Let me see. Oh, yucks. That's a yucky feeling. 
hmm, there it is, like a bad taste in my mouth. I'm just going to wait until it, you know, I can brush my teeth. So you're practicing, practicing, stepping back and letting it be. And if you've got even the tiniest bit of space, you might have noticed a subtle relaxation in your body and a little bit deeper breath. So now we're going to go to a, a different one. And this is a good thing that you're afraid will end. So I've done seminars and things my whole adult life. And there's, there's this weird phenomena, phenomenon in seminars where the first, say it's a four-day seminar. The first three days, everybody's like really happy and just hanging out and chill. And, and, but like the end of the third day, people start to get a little uh, wait, wait, we haven't covered me yet. I, I, I have questions. And the last day, it's an absolute madhouse. Questions, questions. I've got to talk to you. I've just got to talk to you for a minute. And then the seminar ends and, and people are like, no, but I still have questions. I still, they don't want it to end. When we go to Africa, my favorite seminars of all time, you know, it's five days in the African bush, you know, giraffes walking by, monkeys in the trees, and people are so chill. And then the last day, people almost go into crushing depression because they so don't want it to end. So I want you to think of something beautiful in your life that when you let yourself, you're afraid it's going to end. Your youth, for example. I'm going to use youth. My youth <laughs> is waving at me from the rearview mirror. So, and sometimes I'm like, ah! But I'm just going to say to it again, and here's what you need to do as well. Take your special thing that you hope will never end and say, I'm just going to let it be for now. I'm just going to let it be as it is. Remember it as it was. Let it go. Just now, just now. You don't have to keep this up all day. Now on the gathering room, let it go. And then the third thing is I want you to think of somebody whose behavior you would like to control. So I've got two beloved people in my life right now who I learned on separate phone calls are both having serious medical issues. And I would like to immediately jump in and tell them what to do about everything so that they can be healthy and happy and have everything they want. Because this is a pathological trait that I have. But I'm not going to. Because I've gone that way, and that way lies madness. Codependency, folks. Pull up a chair. Instead, I'm going to think of these two beloved people, and I'm going to think all the best to you. I wish you long life and all happiness, and I'm going to let you go. My life can't really fix your life. I can't even fix my own. Look, I can't even stop pushing against bad things or, or gripping at the good things. Hmm. How am I going to change you? Not going to happen. So let it go, let it be for right now. So what happens, and we'll see when you guys start, you know, sending in comments, that is that the bad thing gets a little bit of relief. The good thing feels a little less gripping. And the effort to control other people starts to give way to relaxation. Now, here is the thing, the paradox that I want you to remember. And this is the most fascinating thing. This act of saying, I'm going to let it be, I'm going to let it be, I'm going to let it be, has a paradoxical effect. When you apply it to something negative, it makes your suffering less in quality and shorter in time. 
So if you can, the more you detach from suffering, the more the quality of the suffering becomes smaller. And I've done this with physical pain too. And the shorter the time of the suffering. But when you apply it to happiness, like my youth um, or my babies growing up or whatever it is, when you let go of that, the pleasure of what you're experiencing deepens and grows richer and broader and it lasts much longer. And the same thing is true of a relationship where you let go. All the good things become deeper and longer and all the bad things become shorter in duration and less in quality. So this is an actual magic tool that was discovered in Asia that when Westerners looked at it, they were like, well, what is that? It's just life denying. I actually think anything else is life denying. And I've used the word before, satchitananda, the suchness, the bliss of suchness, the bliss of this being just as it is. Let it go. Let good go. It gets bigger. Let bad go. It gets smaller. Let others go. We get closer. So that's the paradoxical clever trick that will change everything in your life and ultimately result in your enlightenment. So um, <laughs> we can now, let's look, um, let's look at some questions. Hello, the lovely peoples. This is Marty, Martha, inviting you to a free masterclass that I have made called Five Paths to Your Purpose. Probably the most common question I get from people is, how do I find my purpose? Why don't I feel that I'm on purpose? Well, it turns out there are certain things you have to do to find your purpose, and I broke them down into five, and I made a little masterclass about it. So if you'd like to see it, just go to marthabeck.com slash purpose and you will be able to watch it without any charge at all. All right. Um, so why we are having a lot of issues with the technology today. Hang on, let me see if I can get my questions going. Okay, Jessica says, I can let it be during the day. Nighttime is more of a challenge. Yes, Pascal said, all of our misery comes from the fact that we are unable to sit quietly alone in a room. And you can run around, get the lights on, get the cameras going, get the TV on, get your phone in front of you. You can do all these things in the middle of the day. But at night, mm, there's no distraction. Now, that's a bad thing, right? So what you do with it is you say, oh yes, that's true. And you let it be. It's one of the things that you let be. You can always end around, no matter how bad the suffering gets, you can say, oh yeah, this is worse because it's nighttime. Wow, I hate being awake at night. Oh, it's dark, I'm gonna let it be dark. I'm miserable, I'm gonna let myself be miserable. <sighs> And it can be very frightening for a while, and it can feel, this is an interesting thing. When I used to go around um, talking to heroin addicts on the streets of Phoenix, well, they were in a methadone clinic, but they came from the streets. And I would ask them, what do you feel emotionally? And they said, I'm bored. That's what, they, they never said they were miserable, though it was clear they were. These were homeless heroin addicts. And they said, I take heroin because I'm bored. When you wake up in the night and all your, 
pursuing happiness and running away from pain are at their worst. What you will feel if you sit quietly and try to let go is boredom. That is a mask. Under it is your most panicky self, your most grasping self, your most pushing away self. And if you allow yourself to relax, you'll be able to see those scared selves and those gripping selves coming up. Is this pleasant? Well, it's not, but it's always happening. So this is what the Buddha did. He ran from it, from, from his own feelings for, uh, for years and years into all kinds of ascetic practices and decadent living and everything else. And then he finally said, I can't get away from it. It's in me. So he sat down under a tree and he said, I'm not leaving until I've looked every one of these in the face and I'm not afraid of it anymore. And it took days and days for this to happen. And at the end, he was um, completely, all his his demons had come at him as monsters, all his frightening thoughts, and he had looked at them and said, you are illusion, he let them go, and they turned into flowers and settled all over him. And that is how it gets after you've been sitting minute to minute to minute saying, oh, bad feeling, hmm, let it be. Oh, good feeling, eh, let it be. Oh, I wanna control people, eh, let it be. Let it be, let it be. Put that song on, guys, and uh, listen to the wisdom. Uh, Dr. Donna says, how does this practice align with the surrender allow concept of wanting something? It is the same thing. It is exactly the same thing, only it's targeted at your own running after happiness and running away from discomfort. So it's just, you're, you're looking particularly at yourself and your desire to control people is also in you. So it's weirdly separating from the parts of yourself that are uncomfortable while allowing them to be as uncomfortable as they actually are. So it is surrender and allow, yes. Amy says, I've done this separation thing for years, but I don't have the language for it, but it's blissful and wonderful. I learned it after years of depression and anxiety. How do you maintain the bliss, the calm? This all sounds expansive rather than living in an uncomfortable grasping. Thank you for all this. Is enlightenment when you laugh easily at all? Enlightenment? I, I love that you ask that. I don't think I'm enlightened, but as you know, I once had a, an experience in surgery where I saw this light people talk about, and I felt Satchitananda for the first time in my, in my memory, and it was just bursting with laughter. Like the whole universe was echoing with this joyful laughter, and it just, it, it, it had no end, and it was so much fun. I was like, a, a yard full of puppies all tumbling around together. It was just exquisite. And the way you maintain it, Amy, is that when you notice yourself clenching, you let go of the pushing against hard feelings and you let yourself feel crappy and you let go of gripping happiness and you let it pass. You let it go away from you and you let people go away from you. And all of a sudden, boom, suffering goes becomes smaller and shorter joy becomes bigger and more lasting, but beyond that, you're gonna feel this, this thing for which we have no language. And I'm so grateful that you offered us that. And by the way, it does often follow years of anxiety and depression, as it did for the Buddha, right? As it did for Byron Katie, another of my favorite spiritual teachers. Um, there's, there's usually a period of seeking before you can learn to do this. You have to be in quite a bit of pain to let go of the sort of automatic grasping and pushing and it, it's kind of it because it's so paradoxical people usually don't try it until they're desperate so if you're desperate great news 
you have all the motivation you need to get completely enlightened. And I do know that when you touch that light, and I can only imagine when you're in it constantly, um, just imagine the best time you've ever had with your best friends laughing and laughing and multiply that by a million and it's kind of like that. So Emily Elizabeth says, you let good things go, they get bigger. You let bad things go, they get smaller. You let people go, they get closer. That's actually, we should listen to Emily Elizabeth and not to me, which is fabulous. That is exactly it in a nutshell. Try it, you'll just experience it. Steven says, how do we separate let it be from just plain avoidance, which I admit I'm guilty of. Also, is this similar to Jean Genlin's focusing work? I don't know um, Genlin's work enough to tell you this, so I'm just gonna drop that part of it. I'm gonna let it be. But just plain avoidance comes from running away from suffering and clutching at happiness. If you're avoiding something, you're like, that's resistance. Let it go and say, oh my gosh, I have to do this thing I do not want to do. And you you just allow, oh, I really don't want to do this. I don't, I cannot tell you how many things I'm prepared to do while saying over and over, I don't want to do this. I don't want to do this. I don't want to do this. I don't want to, but I keep doing it. I let myself feel that I don't want to do it because otherwise I'd get all clenched up and quivery. And if you're avoiding, um, if you're avoiding, say, doing something, Joyful because you might lose it, same thing. It's a grasping even before you've begun. So avoidance is a sure sign that you're either pushing away suffering or grasping at pleasure. And it's a perfect time to use this little trick and see how it makes your whole life different. Elizabeth says, how do you balance letting go and listening to your inner voice when it speaks with wisdom and awareness? What an amazing question. This is an added benefit. Okay, today I just wanted to talk about this odd paradox because I've had this, I've had an exhausting few weeks. And so I've had very exciting, wonderful, happy things happen. And then I've been very physically tired and kind of, and, and, and hoping that nothing bad happened because I was so tired. So um, I was just like watching it go when I'm on a high and I stop clinging to it. It's like, oh. and when I'm tired and I stop resisting it, oh. and when I want people to do things or feel things or think things and I don't make them, it's like, whew, we all come in together. But then in the quiet, you start to hear the voices. If you've ever read a book called Trauma and the Soul, I'm just rereading it, it's fantastic. And it talks about um, the fact that only in times of difficulty and crisis do rips appear in the fabric of the psyche that allow numinous experiences to happen. And, it, and this psychologist, gosh, I'm blanking on his name and everything else today, but, he actually believes that there's an inter, there's a liminal space that is neither um, fictional nor material, but exists halfway between imagination and reality. It, it has its own kind of reality. And you need trauma in his reading of things to access the numinous. It's what um, Leonard Cohen says, there is a crack in everything, that's how the light gets in. So the suffering, the anxiety, the depression, they're actually all useful allies that will rip the fabric of your psyche. And when you stop the pushing and the pulling, as uh, Walt Whitman said, apart from the pu pushing and hauling stand I, he had a little enlightenment experience. And it's all about not pushing and pulling, just 
stillness in that in trauma and the soul it talks about all these patients this guy has treated hearing the voice of an inner wisdom that sometimes knew things that weren't geographically in the same location they were like a little girl who could not go into a room where there was somebody who died and some an angel she said just kept pushing her away from the door so the psychology of it was she was experiencing something from her inner wisdom but how did she, like as a person how would you know there was someone in dead in that room so what he this guy says I think, Rowie, if you could Google the name Trauma and the Soul and send me that man's name, I know everybody's going to want the name and I don't have his name on my mind. But if you can use moments of wanting to push, wanting to pull, wanting to grip, if you can use those to quiet yourself, it will rip the fabric of your psyche enough to let in the light and you will hear or feel the presence of your higher self or your inner guides or your outer guide. I don't even know what they are. But you, people reliably report that in the quiet of not pushing, pulling, or grasping, we have wise protectors who are helping us get through whatever situation we're facing. So I'm glad you asked me this. Um, Julie says, does, does let it me, be mean we don't tackle the hard stuff? No, it means we tackle the hard stuff calmly. The hard stuff, it's a completely different set of measurements, you guys, from just what makes us happy, what makes us sad. The hard stuff, remember, I, I like to say play is the way we should go forward in our lives, but you can play the piano at a very high level. You can play football, go Rams, uh, in the Super Bowl tonight. And these people are not just lying around the pool eating bonbons. They're playing hard. And playing can involve all these extremities of joy and sorrow and love and hate and all the things. But if you can let go of the grasping, the pushing, and the controlling, you can move through the hard stuff calmly and in a kind of wondering awe. The hard stuff is like the most beautiful hike of your life. It's like, wow, that was intense. And it was either good or bad, but it was beautiful. As Emily Dickinson said, um, beauty doesn't have to explain, it is. Um, Marcia says, my friend did not invite me to her wedding. Should I just let it go? Unless you want to suffer? I would. Or maybe you're so angry at her that no matter what you do, you still feel angry at her. Stop resisting. You feel angry. All right. But if you think, I'm going to teach her, I'm going to fix this, I'm going to make her different, Welcome to hell. <laughs> so trying to control someone, <sighs> Marcia, right now, just go, all right, I'm angry. Oh, and I'm hurt. Oh, yeah. And I want to control her, but I can't. So I'm going to be with my anger. I'm going to be with my hurt. And what I said last week about embarrassment, what happens as you allow it to be is it burns up the parts of the ego that are attached to the experience. So uh, not only are you coming out of the 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 horror house of uncontrollable emotion not only are you extending beauty and joy and minimizing sorrow but you are burning the part of your ego that is wrapped up in the anger the sorrow the control whatever and as it goes you will have less ego left to feel those things later on it will be more of you in such a tananda and less of you in sorrow or even potential sorrow so that's the whole goal 
Good luck with it, Marsha. So Pam says, is this when I, when I start meditating, my heart pounds and I feel panicky? Luckily, it eases as I go. Yeah, when I started uh, meditating a minimum of an hour at a time, I experienced continuous panic through every meditation for about three months. It was horrible. And I just sort of watched it and watched it and watched it. And then it started to go down. And let me tell you, when it started clearing out, the view it left was unbelievable. Yeah, those long sessions. I'm going to go back to some long sessions because the panic that eases opens the window to this awe that I'm talking about, to Satchitananda. It's, and there's no other way to get there, you guys. Crystal says, how long do I have to say let it be? Once I stop, the feeling stops. Oh, well, keep saying let it be. As You can take a little uh, prayer bead thing and just go around going let it be, let it be, or just play the Beatles song over and over. I don't think you can say let it be too much because it's always right there. Oh, let it be. Boom. It takes less than half a second. And it always will return you, return you, return you to the place of Satchitananda. And then your feelings will not destroy you. Megan finally says, I met someone recently that I would like to stay in contact with. It feels desperate and clingy. I'd like to let that neediness go, but I'm struggling. Yes, excellent. You've identified that you're struggling and that you can't let go. So you let that be. Wow, I'm really struggling and I can't let go. I'm going to let that be. I'm going to say on the gathering room, I'm struggling and I can't let go. Ooh, it really sucks. Like how many of us out there have felt that feeling, Megan? You are not alone and we are all right here with you knowing what it feels like to not be able to let go, to not be able to stop pushing away what we fear or grabbing at what we want or trying to control people. These are our monkey features. <laughs> and until we're fully enlightened, they're going to happen to us. And we can let that be. Ha, ha, ha. You can always let it be. It's just let it be all the way down. Ultimately, your brain runs out of tricks and you just keep repeating it like a broken record. Let it be, let it be, let it be. And instead of going into a numb, stultifying state of mind, you let go of mind altogether and you explode into the bliss of being. And you'll still have all your feelings. They just won't hurt you. I love you guys. Thanks for putting, staying put through my um, technical snafus in the beginning. And I'll see you guys soon again on The Gathering Room. For almost 30 years, I've been teaching people to do something that I call reading your internal compasses. I believe we are all born with direction-finding mechanisms that are inherent in us and will help us find our best destiny. Uh, a few years ago, though, I realized that a lot of people were getting very, very anxious. And this is true. Anxiety is going nuts all over the planet. So I spent five years researching and writing a book about how to read your compasses and lower the anxiety that's getting between you and your right life. And I'm very excited about the book. It's coming out in 2025. But 
I would love to teach you about it before the book comes out. So this summer, I'm doing a course called The Wayfinder's Compass, Moving Beyond Anxiety. And you can check it out by going to marthabeck.com slash compass. And we will have a fabulous time putting you on course for your North Star. It's a bewildering moment to be alive. That's why Martha Beck, me, and Rowan Mangan, me, created Bewildered, the wildly successful podcast for people trying to figure it out. Most of us are trying to fit society's expectations about how we should live, which is stressful and confusing. On Bewildered, we look at topics like perfectionism, what it means to have enough, anxiety, and creativity to see where the culture may be pushing us all away from the lives that truly fulfill us. If you're bewildered, if you want to think and you love to laugh, come join us. 